Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life the Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Demi. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stops, since sports never sleeps, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good day. Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff. Welcome back. We have four days until Hawaii, California. We have 12 days until week one of the college football season. And I don't know about you, but I am definitely excited. I've grown kind of tired to just talk about practice. You know, practice, man. We're actually going to be 12 days away from talking about actual action. No disrespect to Hawaii or California. But uh, welcome to Countdown to Kickoff. We have a lot of things on tap for today's show. We're going to continue our college football playoff preview. Uh, we're going to be previewing Saban's men. Who are Saban's men? Of course, there are a lot of them. We've previewed Mark D'Antonio already. We've previewed a Will Muschamp as well, Jimbo Fisher. And, hold on, yeah, Jimbo Fisher and uh, Kirby Smart, you're on the clock. We're going to be previewing the Georgia Bulldogs and, of course, the Florida State Seminoles. Two teams will, of course, bring back abundance of talent. And in regards to whoever is at the helm as the head coach, the expectations are always high. Both teams, of course, finish their seasons with 10 wins. However, one team, Finish their season 10-3 and three outside of the top 25. The other, of course, Florida State finished their season with more with 10 wins, but also that's ended with a loss. Are you as good as you were before? Well, seems as if we're going to find out. Both of these teams, of course, have a lot of talent. Uh, of course, up first, we're going to be talking about the Georgia Bulldogs entering a new era. After 15 years of Mark Rick. They bring a prodigal son home, one of their own, and Kirby Smart. Expectations, for some reason, are high as all get out. I don't understand why. He's a first-time coach. Maybe it's because he spent so many years under Nick Saban. The expectation is that since Nick Saban is great, maybe uh, Kirby Smart could be great too. And, well, we're going to see. They have a lot of talent, but also they have a lot of questions. And expectations, in my own opinion, I believe are a bit unrealistic. Uh, Associated Press came out with their top 25 not too long ago, and Georgia found herself ranked number 18. But to get questions about the Georgia Bulldogs and more, why not get an expert who covers the Georgia Bulldogs to come on the show and let us know what's happening, what's up? So let's go ahead and get Mr. Sanchez. He covers the Georgia Bulldogs for dogsports.com. Uh, to find out what's happening and what's up in Athens. Let's get him on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Anthony. Well, you know, this is a, a new era in uh, Georgia Bulldog football. 
for 15 years, I mean, we've only known one way, and that's been the Rick way. And despite, although, of course, it did have reached precedent in heights of winds and every now and then DCS bowl appearances, there were SEC championships and NCAA championships that were definitely missing. Uh, what, how is the Kirby Smart era a bit different, at least from, uh, from the uh, Margaret era at this point? Well, so far, it's really just been a lot of energy. Um, he's recruited a, a lot better than Rick has. He's, he's really killed us on the recruiting trail so far. I don't know if you're going to see too much difference in terms of game planning or scheme. Um, a lot of the offense that he's selling, at least with Jim Chaney, has been the pro style, the, the, you know, the traditional asset with two backs in the backfield. And the defense is going to be a lot similar, too, considering Jeremy Pruitt came from the Saban tree on defense and ran a lot of the three, four stuff. His Jeremy Pruitt stuff was a little bit more slimmed down to adjust to the spread than what Kirby Spart likes to do. But a lot of the scheme stuff is going to be a lot similar as well than what we were used to under Rick. Absolutely. Now, of course we do know traditionally, and it seems their tradition continues that it's never a quiet season in Athens during the summer. As of course we had the Georgia Bulldogs had their fair share of players be dismissed or arrested or, be placed on suspension. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we are now less than 12 days until kickoff until their matchup against the uh, North Carolina Tar Heels. And just want to know, who's going to be starting at quarterback? Is it going to be the fifth-year senior who, of course, you know, won 10 games? Or will it be the uh, five-star quarterback in Jacob Eason who, last I heard, was taking all the first-team snaps? It seems to be one or the other. They they seem to be trying not trying to tip their hand at all one way or the other with that. They don't. I don't think they want North Carolina to know who's going to start. I think Ethan probably will at least play and, and get a good bit of snaps in there. It makes sense to play him. You can just hand the ball off to Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle if he's healthy enough to get some snaps. But definitely hand the ball off to Nick Chubb and try and keep it safe with our tight ends and Jeb Blazevich, Isaac Nathan, and Charlie Warner and then kind of see if you can get him over the top with Terry Godwin. Um, but I think Eason will at least play. They'll probably play play Grayson Lambert a little bit just because they trust his experience and his knowledge of the offense and just to get things set and how they're supposed to be. With the first game, you're going to have some usual jitters and somebody that can kind of keep the offense calm and, and clicking if just move the chains down the field is is valuable. When you saw Grayson Lambert on, he really had some good games last year. So if he's on, he can handle some things. But if he's off, he had some nightmare games too. So hopefully they'll have a quick hook on him if he's not looking well. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Mr. Sanchez. He covers the Georgia Bulldogs for dogsports.com. Now, you mentioned Nick Chubb. And, of course, we also know his other running mate in Sonny Michelle. And also, you know, the other guy uh, who was somewhat famous uh, for his father, in, uh, Elijah Holyfield. All three of those running backs are, of course, immensely talented, but they found themselves riddled with the injury bug, either, of course, with uh, Chubb last season and with Sonny Michelle with his uh, little uh, accident. Uh, and also, of course, the issue with Elijah Holyfield. What's the status of those backs? Because it's good to have talent, but if, in fact, they're not at 100%, you know, it definitely is going to make that transition uh, for whoever's under center much more difficult. Holyfield's a little bit dinged up, but he's supposed to be healthy. He's supposed to be healthy by game time, and he's had a really good camp, and they expect him to be able to make a difference back there if he needs to get some carries. Michelle's still uh, probably the most questionable on whether or not he's going to play. 
as far as uh, what reports are going. He's just he's still got uh, several screws in his arm, and it's just a matter of not of whether it's going to do any more damage. Chubb, I think, is good to go. Uh, I think they were trying to hold him back a little bit in spring just because they didn't want to push it. They knew they didn't need to push it. But he has been 100% throughout fall camp, and I think he's going to be ready to tear it up from day one. Absolutely. Of course, last week during practice, he uh, expressed his excitement on finally being tackled, and it made him feel a whole lot more comfortable. Now, of course, we do know that Sonny Michelle in the offseason, he broke his arm. He's been out the entire August. We don't know when he's going to come back, but we do know that Chubb and Michelle definitely, when healthy, are probably two of the most dynamic running backs, not just in the SEC, but the entire country. But we do know, however, that uh, one of the concerns, especially one of the biggest um, and most important things to a talented running back is an offensive line. Now, the Georgia Bulldogs were fortunate to bring one of the best offensive line coaches in the country on board who has a, a, an incredible resume. But how do we? How are those questions in regards to uh, the questions and concerns about the offensive line going to be answered this year? We'll find out. They brought in Tyler Catalina, a graduate transfer from Rhode Island, starter up there at tackle for several years, and he's apparently looked pretty good and should get in the rotation there at tackle. Greg Pike has moved back outside to right tackle, and he supposedly looks as well as he did his sophomore year when he was getting some. All-America looks. You've got Brandon Kuglin all back for a second year at center, so he should be a little bit more comfortable there handling snaps. Isaiah Wynn is going to work in somewhere, be it at guard or at left tackle. And he's probably one of the better offensive linemen in the SEC that just kind of goes a bit unnoticed. It's, it's He hasn't really found a home yet on the offensive line, but I think once he does, he's really going to take off and, and establish himself as one of the better offensive linemen in the country. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know that John Thews, I promise, I swear, I felt like he had been in Georgia for 10 years. He's now, of course, now being paid to play. Also, in addition to that, at wideout, I think one of the biggest misses is going to be uh, Malcolm Mitchell, who, of course, is now in New England uh, getting paid to play. Who do you see stepping up in those positions? We know about the Mighty Mike McKenzie, who has speed for days and Goodwin, but you know, in the SEC, you got to have at least three reliable wide receivers to be able to be productive. We, we're going to have to figure that one out. And one of the problems with Godwin and McKenzie, especially McKenzie, is size. McKenzie's a little guy, and it's hard to kind of get him over the top against some of the bigger defensive backs in the league. He works more in the slot and, and does a lot of underneath stuff. Godwin can get over the top, and he's shown that ability to kind of replace Malcolm Mitchell, who was – one of the more talented players we've had in, in over the last several years. He just never stayed healthy enough to show it, unfortunately. But um, Javon yep. Wims, uh, who's come in as a JUCO, should be able to make some plays. And I think we're going to rely on the tight ends and backs a good bit in the passing game. You can get Sonny Michelle out, out wide if he's healthy. You can get Nick Chubb out of the backfield making some plays with his hands. You can get Isaac Nada and Charlie Warner, who are two fr- t- extremely talented freshmen, get them the ball and Jeb Blazevich get him some work as well. And don't forget Jackson Harris, who had some good starts as a freshman last year. He's not as athletic as Nada or Warner or Blazevich, but he does a lot of good work over the middle, and he's a really big body and soft tar- and soft hands target to hit over the middle if they need a safety blanket. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that Kirby Smart's calling card is his defense, and his defensive coordinator is a guy, of course, who uh, he brought with him from Alabama and Mel Tucker. 
Now, when you look in the trenches, uh, you see talent, but one of the things that's definitely missing is depth. Now, of course, during the offseason, we did hear about Ledbetter, who definitely did get into his fair share of trouble. Uh, where is his status in regards to uh, being back uh, on the team? As far as I know, he's suspended and still getting medical treatment for his issues. Well, that's good, actually, for his own for his own personal life. Now, of course, we do know that when you look at a Kirby Smart defense, one of the most important positions, of course, is that defensive line. Now, we do know, of course, about the, the Georgia Bulldogs have had a strong tradition in regards to bringing D in uh, to the NFL. Jarvis, Jarvis Jones, of course, and the latest uh, guy, of course, was drafted in the first round by Chicago. But uh, who do we see stepping in to be the next great defensive end for Georgia? That That's a bit up in the air on who's going to step up as that big playmaker in the front seven. Trent Thompson is a really talented defensive tackle, and he's going to need to stay healthy because, as you said, there is some depth issues up front in the defensive line area, and we really need him to stay healthy so he can be a difference maker inside. Lorenzo Carter is an extremely talented player. He showed a lot as a freshman and then seemed to back up a little bit as a sophomore. If he can bounce back from his regression, he's got all the talent in the world to make plays and all the size and speed to, to be that sort of difference maker off of the edge. Devin Bellamy has shown some talent when he's gotten chances behind Floyd and Jordan Jenkins the last couple of years, and he's looking to step into a bit bigger role. They've got some talented uh, freshman turned sophomores now with Natrez Patrick and Roquan Smith, among others up there that can hopefully start to make some more plays now that they get a little bit more playing time. But it's it's going to be a, a big question on who can replace because they lost not only Jordan Jenkins and Leonard Floyd off the edge, two extremely good pass rushers, but they lost their leading t- tackler in Jake Gaines, one of the expected replacements. Tim, Tim, Kim, Tim Kimbrough wasn't getting the playing time that he expected coming into the fall, and he's just taken off. So they have a lot to replace on the front seven, especially in the linebacker core. Now, of course, we do know that one thing is that's going to help the uh, Georgia Bulldogs defensive line, of course, as they grow throughout the season, is the fact that the Bulldogs do boast probably one of the most talented uh, secondaries in the SEC. And then, of course, you did add in Maurice Smith, who, of course, is making noise since uh, he his transfer to Georgia was recently, of course, approved. Uh, who do you see stepping up in that secondary along with Maurice Smith? Morris Smith is an excellent pickup, and I think he just really adds depth to a unit that is the deepest part of the defense. You know, the question is whether or not that front seven can can do enough work near the line of scrimmage to allow that back four to to show their talent. But you've got Dominic Sanders, who's been an excellent ball hawk the last three years back there at safety. Quincy Mulder, who's got a ton of starts and experience there at strong safety to help dictate, um, to help make sure the defense stays set. Maurice Smith, who's got plenty of experience in what Mel Tucker and Kirby Smart won out of their defense. Malcolm Parrish on the edge as one of the better, more talented cornerbacks. You've got Aaron Davis back. You've got a few other um, talented corners. Uh, the extremely fast Miko Hardeman that they got out of Elbert County, who's one of the more talented players in this incoming class and should make a big difference somewhere. Be a wide receiver, special teams are more likely at corner, making plays back there with his speed. But um, their defense is going to – I think the back seven is going to be – the back four is going to be extremely strong if the front seven can can make some damage up front to, to allow them to make plays, especially Dominic Sanders with the way he's able to pick the ball off deep. Absolutely. Love him or hate him. Mark Rick definitely let the cover far from bear. 
a number of those guys, of course, who you mentioned, were not. They maybe lack experience, but they certainly do not lack talent. Now, for me, <clears throat> excuse me. One of my questions, and our last question is, why should we buy into Kirby Smart? He's a first-time coach, and we do know that, of course, there are exceptions of first-time coaches thriving in their first season. But why should we buy in? Because I mean, I'm just not, I'm just not getting it. Why people are automatically projecting this team to automatically uh, win the SEC East? Is it because the SEC is weak, or is it because they just expect uh, Kirby Smart to become uh, the next Nick Saban? I think there's just a lot of different factors. You know, Mark Rick didn't leave the cover bare. He's had a lot of talent in the recruiting classes the last several years. So there's there's not as much talent as we'd like as far as playmakers on defense, but there's a lot of experience returning outside aside from the linebacker core, and there's a lot of ability on there if they can stay healthy. There's a lot of talent on the offensive ends, especially with Nick Chubb, who I think a lot of people are forgetting. He's one of the best running backs we've seen in a long time, right there with Todd Gurley. And Leonard, his stats were right there with Leonard Fournette last year until he went down. And if he's back 100%, he can make a huge difference if Sam Pittman can get that offensive line working. So the talent is there if this team can work. Kirby brought in a lot of veteran assistants. Mel Tucker, who's got a lot of years of experience as an NFL defensive coordinator and has that year experience with Kirby in Alabama. So they got very familiar with each other, and they, he knew that's who he wanted as defensive coordinator. Jim Chaney, who's been around for a long time, from Purdue to Tennessee and all over, so he knows what he's doing on the offensive end. So it's a very experienced staff. He's done a, Kirby's done a very good job getting that talent to buy in, getting it to work for him, and he should be able to know what he's doing with it. Like I said, there's not a – there's not a lot of difference in what he's doing systematically. It's not like he's going from a spread offense to a shot, you know, to a to a power eye offense. It should be a lot of the same stuff and just a little bit of a change in terminology. And you got to look at the East and wonder who's going to step up. A lot of people like Tennessee. They think a lot of talent's there, but I've seen a lot of that talent disappear over the last couple of years that Bush Jones has brought in. Not a lot of it's still around up there. And there's still questions about whether or not his coaching staff can actually make that next step from a from a supposed to be team to, to actually getting it done. South Carolina's down. Florida, we're not sure if they've stepped back up with their questions at quarterback. So the East is down, and Georgia's got a chance to steal it if they can stay healthy. They've just got to stay healthy and make sure they can get off on the right foot against North Carolina. And a lot will depend on what they do in Tennessee, and, and that can set the table for set the tone for the season. Absolutely. Again, I want to thank you for coming on to the show this season. Definitely promises to be far from a boring one down in Athens, and the expectations continue to grow higher. And if, in fact, they do have an impressive showing in their week one matchup against North Carolina, the expectations will only grow. Thank you for coming on to the show, and I definitely want to have you on throughout the season. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate it. Now, of course, going from one Saban man and, of course, and Kirby Smart, who, of course, once who has a record of zero and zero at this particular point, let's go ahead and transition to another Saban man, of course, and uh, Jimbo Fisher, who, of course, is probably one of the most successful Saban disciples, who, of course, has a national championship to his name and has a team that seems to be loaded beyond compare. And it has, to some, for some reason, has gone under the radar when we find people talking about national championship contenders and Heisman potential winners. But to get answers in regards to the status of the Florida State Seminoles, 
Let's go ahead and get my man on, Jared Ross, who, of course, is a diehard Florida State fan to find out uh, what's happening and what's up with those Florida State Seminoles. Welcome hey, to the Anthony, show. Hey, how you doing tonight? Absolutely. I'm doing fine. Now, of course, we started the show by talking about one favorite disciple, of course, and Kirby Smart, who, of course, uh, at this point is zero and zero. If he wishes to be successful, it would be great if he could become the, the second coming of Jimbo Fisher, who has done remarkably uh, since taking the helm down in Tallahassee. But entering into this season with the Florida State Seminoles, you find this team, unlike in years past, kind of going under the radar. Is that uh, uncharacteristic for this team? Well, I think a lot of what you're finding is you've got a team that uh, returns a lot. Uh, All 11 starters on offense from last year are back, um, and you hear that stat a lot. But really what it comes down to is who's going to be the quarterback, and that's the big issue. And and while Sean McGuire, who uh, did a serviceable job for the Knolls last year and and, uh, really, you know, gutted it out in that bowl game where I know he threw four interceptions. I know a lot of people point to the fact that, uh, you know, he, a lot of that could be pinned on him. At the end of the day, he suffered a pretty bad injury, came in, gutted it out, showed the heart of a champion, uh, and comes back this year and, and uh, gets injured again. Uh, so we don't know what to expect out of a redshirt freshman quarterback. But what I will say is, uh, and I can't compare the two, but the last time a redshirt freshman started down here in Tallahassee uh, for Florida State on Labor Day, uh, it worked out pretty well for us. So, uh, you know, I I think there's a lot of people that are are just wondering who is going to be that quarterback and who's going to step up. Uh, You look up and down the lineup, uh, this team is stacked. It is loaded. This is probably – uh, Jimbo's most talented team, and I'll say that even in regards to that 2013 team that went undefeated, won the national title, uh, this team has talent top to bottom, and, and it's hard to find any true holes. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that one of the most important positions specifically for a Jimbo Fisher offense is the quarterback. Now, of course, we do know that Sean McGuire is definitely out uh, until he's healed up. I reportedly saw him walking around. Uh, in a boot, so it looks like he's going to be progressing with his uh, with his healing. But we do know that the depth of the uh, quarterback position at this point was uh, dealt a serious blow as uh, four-star uh, freshman Malik Henry was suspended indefinitely, which means that now the only quarterback on the roster, of course, is going to be DeAndre Francois, the redshirt freshman you mentioned, and possibly J.J. Castellano. Uh, what's the latest with Malik Henry? Is he – Gonna come back, or what? What do you heard? There's there's a lot of rumors and innuendos. Uh, nobody really knows for sure. Uh, as we've learned throughout the years since Jimbo's been the head coach, he's pretty tight-lipped on uh, anything in regards to player discipline. Uh, you know, I've I've heard anything from uh, he he suited up for the Knolls the last time in the spring game to we could expect him back uh, before week one. Um, but the most credible thing I've heard is is this is a temporary suspension that he will be back. Um, you know, it, it's a case of a kid who, uh, from what I understand, believes his own hype. Uh, he is a very talented quarterback. We saw that in the spring game, uh, and. Truth be told, he was probably the most impressive of all the quarterbacks in the spring game. I mean, he just he looked composed. He used his feet really well. His arm is uh, is incredible. 
Um, but from from everything we've heard about this kid from from the time he was in high school, it's the head. Uh, you know, he's got to get that he- head on straight. And Jimbo doesn't mess around. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people uh, called him an enabler. Uh, said that he didn't know how to discipline kids when when everything was going on with Jameis Winston. But I'll tell you, I've I've seen it up close and and I've heard a lot about it. And and Jimbo does not mess around. He will be your best friend uh, if you give him. But if you give him a reason not to be, he he's going to make you pay for it. And I think right now he's sending a, a pretty strong message to Malik Henry. Um, I think those of us in Knoll Nation are a little little concerned because we are one one twisted ankle away from the J.J. Cosentino error, and we saw how that looked in the uh, in the bowl game. Uh, but if there's one thing that, that Jimbo Fisher has shown, is he can win with anyone at quarterback. Um, you know, I, th- I think uh, I think we're we're going to be okay with DeAndre Francois, and I think he's going to do a great job for us. But if J.J. does have to get in there and, and take some snaps, I'm not too worried about it because, I, you know, we, we joke about it a lot and, uh, here in Tallahassee, but in Jimbo we trust. Uh, this is a guy that is, has put more quarterbacks in the league recently than anyone else, and, and I've got all the faith in him. And that said, uh, you know, I, Sean should be back by week two or three. Um, I would suspect he wouldn't play week two. I mean, we, we play Charleston Southern. Uh, that, that's, uh, you know, or, or you know, that that's not a game I'm, I'm too worried about. Um, you know, you never want to take anyone for granted, but it is Charleston Southern. But I would think by that Louisville game, uh, DeAndre will be uh, well entrenched in the starter's position, but uh, Sean should be back by then. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Jared Ross, uh, Noel Nation fan at heart, bleeding, Garnett, and gold. Now, of course, one of the questions that's definitely, even though there's definitely a, a couple of questions at quarterback, there's nothing like having one of the best running backs in the country. And one of the things that's kind of interesting, when I started the show, I talked about how this guy, for some reason, is flying under the radar. Whenever people talk about the best running backs in the country, more yet the best players in the country, for some reason, Dalvin Cook always finds himself either at number three or completely being ignored altogether. I mean, this guy's a dynamic back. I don't know. When I see this guy play, he makes me think about Reggie Bush, a bigger, faster, stronger Reggie Bush. Uh, I I read the other day a scout said that that Dalvin Cook is going to be everything that we hoped Reggie Bush would be. Uh, so so that's a pretty good comparison. You know the thing about Dalvin is is he's not flashy. Uh, his stats are, but he doesn't bring attention to himself like a lot of other players do. Uh, and, and not that that Fournette or McCaffrey or any of the others do. I mean I think we're we're in an era of phenomenal college running backs who are not about themselves, who are all about their team. And, and I think they've all shown that. Uh, but Dalvin Cook, here's a guy who ran for, for 1,700 yards last year, 1,690-plus yards on a bum leg. Uh, people forget yeah. about that. The, the stats he put up last year are incredible. In, in the Wake Forest game last year, he had two runs, uh, one of, I think, about five yards and one of uh, 94 yards, and then didn't play another uh, another snap in that game. Uh, and, and we all – you know, Noel Nation collectively held their breath because we thought he was done for, for a while. And then he came back against Miami and had an incredible game. Uh, he missed the Syracuse game, and, and uh, Jacques Patrick filled in very, very well for him, uh, which gives us hope that we do have a great uh, backup if something were to happen to Dalvin. But 
and yes, I'm a little biased uh, because of my background, but I've watched them. I've watched Fournette. I've watched McCaffrey. I've watched all the other backs in the country. Dalvin Cook is the most dynamic running back in the country, and I wouldn't trade that guy. As Jimbo said today, I wouldn't trade him for all the money in China. I I do not blame him. Now, of course, one of the things that I'm definitely excited about is some of the playmakers outside of Dalvin Cook that they have who I believe are really – poised to become breakout players this year. When we find ourselves talking about ACC wide receivers, a lot of times people talk about Mike Williams from Clemson, which is deservedly so, but I really believe that this is going to be a coming out party for Travis Rudolph, who, of course, had his struggles, growing pains, going from his freshman and sophomore year. But I think this guy is poised to possibly uh, contend for some All-American honors this year if, in fact, uh, the quarterback position consists. Yeah, Travis Rudolph is a guy that's been kind of an enigma his first couple of years. He had some games like the Syracuse game and the Houston game, and and he had a couple of those his freshman year where he just stands out, and you look at the guy and and you say, this is the next great Seminole receiver, and then he just disappears for a week or two. Uh, But I'm telling you, this year I think he is going to be – the real deal. Uh, he, you know, he, he's going to step up. He's got to be the man. Um, but what people don't realize is you go down this, this depth chart of wide receivers and the Knolls are loaded. You've got Travis Rudolph. You've got Auden Tate, who's a big body, who, who uh, <clears throat> a lot of folks are hoping can play that Kelvin Benjamin type role. You've got uh, Kermit Whitfield. Uh, Bobo Wilson is back. But then you've also got Devontae Phillips, you've got Peg Harrison, you've got George Campbell. Uh, this team has got receivers uh, like I've never seen on a Seminole team. Uh, you know, the big three we had back in, in 2013 with Benjamin and Rashad Green and Kenny Shaw, these guys are going to give them a run for their money. There is, uh, as I said at the beginning of my segment, there is just talent galore up and down this lineup. Now, of course, we do know that ultimately – uh, it's offense sells tickets, defense wins championships. And when I look at the defensive line specifically on the Florida State Seminole team, I look at them like state of old. You got Joshua Sweat, who, of course, is now completely a year removed from his ACL injury. You, of course, also have a lot of other talented defensive linemen who are poised to do good things this year. Where's the ceiling for this defensive line specifically? Well, I mean, this defensive line is going to be nasty. Uh, You mentioned Josh Sweat, who's only a sophomore and played last year, like you said, less than a year removed from not only tearing his ACL and PCL, but, uh, you know, a patella injury as well. Um, Most people, they don't come back in nine months from that. It takes a year to, to 16 months before they're ready to play again. This guy had Wolverine type healing powers where his first game as a freshman, he was out there and, and making a difference. Uh, he's going to be just brutal, uh, on the, particularly on the pass rush, but also in the run game. I mean, this is a guy that, that is not afraid to hit. You got Derek Noddy. I wouldn't want to get hit by that guy. If you've seen him, he is a Mack truck in the middle. Uh, DeMarcus Christmas, nobody's talking about that guy. Uh, he, he's enormous. Uh, and then DeMarcus Walker. That's a guy who decided to come back for his senior year after having one of the best years for a, a defensive end at Florida State in a long time, uh, had 10 and a half sacks. And uh, I think you're going to see this guy contend for a lot of All-American honors and, and a first-round draft pick. I mean, this is a guy that, that like I said, came back for his senior year uh, because he wants to do one thing and one thing only. He wants to win a na- another national title. And, 
he he's poised to do it and, and poised to, to really open some eyes out there. Now, of course, we do know that, of course, when you have a talented defensive line, it provides a lot of invaluable opportunities for linebackers to be able to make a lot of plays. Now, one of the questions that people have about the Florida State defense specifically is that linebackers are going to have to replace uh, over 153 tackles. And we do know, of course, my man uh, Thomas is back after being suspended, then after then being returning and then finding himself back in the doghouse. Where is this guy going? I mean, are we? Is he finally going to live up to his five-star feeling, or should has his ship already sailed? Oh, I think Matthew Thomas. I think this is the year. Uh, you, you know, you got to remember. Here's a guy who came in um, a lot like uh, Malik Henry. You know, the, there were never questions about his talent. It was always about his head. Uh, came in and right away we had the the issue of him wanting out of his scholarship to go to Georgia uh, or possibly USC. Um, and you know, J- Jimbo talked him off that ledge. Um, and he stuck it out, uh, and, and really he showed flashes of brilliance when he's been on the field. He just can't stay on the field. Between the suspensions and the injuries, uh, Matthew Thomas has, has had a tough time being on the field, but all indications are this kid has figured it out. He has decided that he wants to be a football player, he wants to be a Seminole, and he wants to win a national title. Um, you know, from, from all accounts, not only is he playing and playing at a high level, but he's a leader. Um, which is something that, that you need out of a linebacker like that. And, and I really think and, and I hope that this is the year that Matthew Thomas really puts it all together, and I think you're going to see a true difference maker there in the middle. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about Florida State linebackers. Uh, like you mentioned, there's, there's a lot of tackles we got to replace, a lot of talent we have to replace. But Florida State doesn't necessarily need the linebacker position as much as they need the bodies on the field because we do play a lot of nickel. Uh, we play a lot of five defensive back sets. Um, so we don't play a whole lot of linebackers. And, and, you know, you've got a guy like Jacob Pugh, who is a defensive end uh, linebacker hybrid. You've got Shamar Kilby Lane, which a lot of people forget about. This was a highly touted recruit. Didn't play a whole lot last year, but he's coming back. <clears throat> you've got a lot of uh, big bodies in the defense defensive secondary um you know derwin james is 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 the man uh and i know you want to talk about him a little bit uh but you know he can play that hybrid safety linebacker position and and really fill the gap and and uh so i'm not too worried about the depth um you know you also Derek hoskins who played brilliantly in relief last year so i really think we're okay in the linebacker position and and again it all starts uh with with matthew thomas and his resurgence Absolutely. Now, of course, you did mention Derwin James. Now, it's rare that you lose um, a guy the caliber of a Jalen Ramsey, and then you just have just so happen to have a guy that's already poised to step up and uh, replace him. Tell me briefly, uh, how is Derwin James different from Jalen Ramsey? What what different assets is he going to bring to the field that we didn't see from Jalen Ramsey last week? Well, I think Jalen Ramsey was was a little less physical. Uh, not to say that Jalen's not a great defensive back and, and doesn't have all the tools, but Derwin James is physical. That is a man who likes to hit. Um, you know, Lamarcus Joyner. That's he's a lot he, he's a lot more like Lamarcus Joyner than he is uh, Jalen Ramsey. The difference is he's a lot bigger than Lamarcus Joyner. You're talking about yeah. a guy who's about six foot two, uh, whereas Lamarcus Joyner was five eight on a good day. Uh, so you know you're you're looking at a guy that that 
can bring it. Um, you know, he's, he's going to come off the edge. He's going to rush the passer. He's going to fill the lane on the run game. And he's able to cover uh, in the defensive backfield as well. So you're looking at a guy who probably, if he could come out after his sophomore year, would be a top five pick. Uh, that, that's saying a lot. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that we're going to find out very quickly about where Florida State uh, ranks amongst the elite programs. Of course, they have a very tough opener uh, against the Ole Miss Rebels. And, of course, we do know that their upcoming matchup against uh, the Clemson Tigers will definitely be a, a close matchup as well as their game against the Louisville Cardinals. Expectations are higher than ever in uh, Tallahassee, and uh, I look forward to seeing how things ultimately are playing out. I want to thank you for coming on to the show, and I definitely want to have you on throughout the season to talk Knowles. Anytime, Anthony. I appreciate it, and uh, go Knowles. Absolutely. Now, of course, one of the things that's always interesting, when you look at the Saban tree, the two uh, teams that we talked about tonight, uh, we talked about the uh, Georgia Bulldogs with Kirby Smart, and, of course, and Jimbo Fisher with the Florida State Seminoles. You see two coaches who, of course, you see a lot of Saban in both of them in regards to their attention to detail. However, one is proven, and at this particular point, one is unproven. However, the expectations are that if, in fact, you learned under the tutelage of the Jedi Master himself and Saban, the expectation is that you're going to be able to win. I mean, you look at Mark D'Antoni, who's been able to do what? Win. You look, of course, at uh, Jimbo Fisher, who's been able to do what? However, when you look further down the Saban coaching tree, you see that that expectation is a bit cloudy. As I found myself looking at some of the past coaches who've been on that saving street, and I found myself, of course, looking at Will Muschamp, who, of course, has been able to be a great defensive coordinator, at least in Florida, anyway. However, has been able to, has not really been able to be a successful head coach consistently, as his record right now is at 28 and one. Hey, you know their saving disciple, Derek Dooley. Of course, he's now down in Dallas as a quarterback coach, but career record, 32-41. and 41. And you find yourself looking at, hmm, let's see here. You find yourself, of course, then looking at Jason Garrett. Yes, he is a saving disciple. Of course, the coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's been able to do everything but uh, make the playoffs and actually win a game. So you see that ultimately, although you are – may be a saving disciple. It does not automatically mean that you're predestined and predetermined uh, to win 10 wins. However, we do know that ultimately uh, in 12 days we're going to find out what the uh, Kirby Smart era is going to be like. And if, in fact, uh, Georgia fans may find themselves regretting uh, hiring a coach with no experience who just seems to be just getting by off the press clippings in regards to who he coached with. But who you coach with does say a lot about who you will be as a coach. But we'll get those answers in 12 days in their upcoming matchup against the uh, University of North Carolina. Now, some other things I want to talk about on the day's show is I did see an article that was posted. And it's probably something that you guys did not pay much attention to today as a Wisconsin offensive lineman, Dan Fultz, who was, had 26 career starts, was the most experienced returning starter for the Wisconsin Badgers. He announced his retirement today. And I don't know if you've listened to my podcast in the past. I I try to highlight stories that people don't have a tendency to pay much attention to. 
as and and the thing that I found thing is that he retired and he's going to be getting a medical scholarship. Now, I do not know specifically what a medical scholarship entails, but again, it makes you realize that at the age of 22 or 23, this guy, let me read his injury history, uh, Dan Polk, V-O-L-T-Z, tore his ACL, tore his meniscus, broke his ankle, had back spasms, had neck, neck concerns at 23 years old. So although, of course, I, I do applaud the University of Wisconsin for being able to honor his scholarship, he, of course, is still on track to graduate with a degree in sports management. Nevertheless, it does make you wonder about how the quality of life this guy, this young man, is going to have after college football. He's pretty much given up his body, and we say that, hey, it's fair because he gets a free scholarship. But at what cost? We do know, of course, that this athlete's medical expenses will likely be paid for while he's in school. But what happens afterwards? How is this young man supposed to be able to uh, have a healthy and vibrant life at 23 years old with a bad back, a bad neck, uh, a bad ankle, and a bad knees, which have gotten to the point where he can't even really physically play the game? Now, of course, we do wish that this guy, this young man, and Several of the young men who I've, of course, talked about in the past are able to be able to function vibrantly in society, as, of course, most college students, once they enter into the workforce, they find themselves going into those entry-level positions. But, again, I just say, what quality of life will this young man have and what has he surrendered in exchange for so-called free scholarship if, in fact, he's not able to be able to function like most young people do once they graduate. Most entry-level jobs require you to either stand up or do a lot of tedious work on your feet. Those type of ten, those type of tasks, of course, are tasks that we can all recall were something that we really didn't think much of, and, of course, we paid our dues. But for someone with, someone with this injury history, you just wonder, you know, how he's going to be able to function in the workplace uh, once he graduates. But, again, we do wish him a lot of success. And uh, just something for you guys to think about. At times we find ourselves, you know, kind of forgetting about the, the athletes who, of course, find themselves injured on the field. We stand up and applaud as, of course, they're carried off on stretchers or in ambulances. But after that, we find ourselves completely forgetting about them. I just want you guys to take a moment to realize the tremendous sacrifice that a lot of these college athletes are making. And no, it's not just for wins. It's also for the opportunity for them to be able to go to school. However, it does come at a tremendous cost. Now, as I bring my show to a close, well, I got three minutes, so let me talk for three more minutes. I hope you guys liked the intro. I decided it's time to bring the show up, professionalize it a little bit. So we're going to be adding a couple of things throughout the show and a couple of changes. I want to thank Jared Ross for coming on to the show. Uh, He, of course, is going on vacation, not on vacation, but on a road trip. And he took some time to be able to come on to the show. So I definitely want to tell him thank you. I definitely also want to tell uh, Mr. Sanchez thank you for sharing his thoughts and insights for the Georgia Bulldogs for this upcoming season. Last came out this past weekend, and history says that four four of the teams in the top ten are going to find themselves with four losses. Nine years in a row, four teams in the top ten will find themselves with nine losses. I ask this question to all my avid college football fans out there. 
is a team that you believe is going to contend for a national championship one of those teams? Because the truth of the matter is that for one of you guys, that truth is going to be a lie. But, of course, we have 12 days until we find out. We have four days until we get a little appetizer in, in California, Hawaii. Uh, as I bring the show to a close, remember that sports give us an opportunity to take a time out from life and all the things that have a tendency of stressing us out. I want to thank you guys for taking a break with me. And remember to stay tuned to sports. I know I will. Peace. Yeah.